0: live Oh is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pre-game show. Your early morning shot of sports on 957. The game. Come on.
4: Yes, sir. Like for doing with you. Hope you are having a terrific Wednesday morning. We got a lot to get into today. The Giants win their second straight against the Philadelphia Phillies in a 7-4 ball game that lasted for damn near five hours. Good lord. It took forever. And the thing about that game is it was not very entertaining. <laughs> if you if you watched any of that game. You didn't miss a whole ton. I mean, you know, the the pitching performance from from Jacob Junis. He's you know he's kind of entertaining, but he was only out there for four and a third, and he struck out three. It was mostly a bullpen game for the Giants. Shout out to Gabe Kapler for actually putting Jake McGee on the lineup card so that he could so that he could come in. Uh, John Brebbia was not good. He gave up a he gave up a couple of earned runs in order for them to tie the game at three three, and it was tied through the back third of the game, through the seventh, eighth, and the ninth. Yuri familia came in and he took forever. It took him twenty minutes just to tie his shoes in total when he was in the game. That was incredibly frustrating. But then. In the 11th inning, the Giants would pull away, obviously, Jock Peterson with the home run. They got three runs to make it a 7-4 to four ball game. And there's not really much to take away from this one other than, look, Jock, again, after all of this fantasy football beef, and by the way, I don't know if this is real. So this might be... Kind of reckless to talk about, but real quick, before we get back to the game, I just want to give an update here. Because yesterday you heard me talk at length. Maybe for too long. I got I got home actually and uh and my girlfriend Jesse's like, dude, you took a very long time talking about the fantasy football beef between Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson. You talked about that for for a while. And I said, Yeah. Because it's the biggest sports story to happen over the weekend, other than the Warriors and the Celtics being in the NBA Finals. Uh, but there was an update, and I don't know if this was real. And I honestly, I forgot where I even saw it. So this could be reckless of me. But it was somewhere, and it could have been, you know, maybe I got sacked by Ball Sack Sports on Twitter. Which has just been fooling everyone this year. But they said, Tommy Pham said Mike Trout was the commissioner of that fantasy league. And I was wondering yesterday, who's the commissioner? Who's the commissioner of this league? That's who we need to hear from. And it turns out that uh, Mike Trout is. Now, again, this is reckless. I should, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but. That's what I saw. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if Mike Trout is going to be involved in a league with Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson. I'd be shocked if he was, but if Mike Trout was the commissioner, that'd be hilarious. I probably got fooled by a graphic. But that's the only thing that I've seen as far as an update uh, with that fantasy league. Now, look, we got a lot to get into with the Warriors and the Celtics. Because I, I do have a couple of questions as far as this finals matchup. Because... It feels to me, and as I was looking over it yesterday, it feels to me like the Celtics as a whole are the toughest opponent that the Warriors have faced in the finals during this dynastic run. To me. And I'll explain why later on in the show. Plus Draymond Green, Steve Kerr, all of them spoke. We got an update with Gary Payton II. Shout out to him for winning the NBA's Community Assist Award. Um, but the Finals MVP discussion is making its way into the mainstream media again. And at least with Stephen Curry possibly winning it or losing it, whatever. And and that's just incredibly... I'm going to talk about it, but the Finals MVP thing to me, it's a non sequitur. Like, I don't care, personally. I don't care. But let's get back to the Giants As we will continue to preview Warriors and Celtics finals game one tomorrow at 6 o'clock. But part of that game, obviously the Jock Peterson home run was what everyone's paying attention to. However, Joey Bart continues to be... Part of the discussion, game after game after game, when a guy like Kirk Casale comes in as the DH and goes one for three in this one, obviously getting the big home run in uh, game one of this series. But Joey Bart was the starting catcher, and he was 0 for 4 in this game with three strikeouts and a walk. And it feels like that's been the prototypical game for Joey Bart at the ba- in the batter's box throughout this season. It's get a strikeout, get a walk. That's that's what it's been. It feels like it's been a one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio, except the strikeouts have now taken precedent, and this was a three-to-one ratio in this case. Now, granted, one of these strikeouts, it was a tough call on a full count, but one of the strides that he has made compared to 2020, it's certainly not in the batter's box, but it's how he's made his progression as a defensive not just him as a catcher but as a leader a guy who's calling out these pitches and you know giving suggestions on what to do now last night you may not you may not think of it um as as anything too as anything too strong i guess would be the word as anything too impactful But to me, this was a big moment, and Gabe Kapler spoke about it, and I do want to get to that. Uh, But it got a little hairy in the bottom of the 11th. After Jock Peterson, and shout-out to Donovan Walton, too, uh, for for getting the double to make it a 5-4 game, Jock Peterson made it 7-4, so they're up three runs. There's really uh, not much to, to write home about. But they have a runner on second, obviously, to start the game in the bottom of the 11th. The first batter, Camargo, Johan Camargo, as Jose Alvarez is in the game, he pops out. So there's one out there. Then Kyle Schwarber ends up drawing the walk. So you got one out with one runner on, uh, with runners on first and second. Then Bryson Stott ends up striking out, just on an O2 count. Bang, bang, bang. There's two outs, and then there's a mound visit. Gabe Kapler walks out to the mound because Bryce Harper is coming up to the plate. Now there's a very real possibility that Bryce Harper even though he hasn't been as good at home this season is the, the home road splits they're significant i think he was batting the 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 time they showed it in game 1 he was batting like 320 on the road as opposed to batting 237 at home so he's certainly not as good at home and you also got a lefty so it's a matchup that you like but still it's Bryce Harper you got to think about Bryce Harper you got to talk about Bryce Harper you got to decide what strategy to use and they ended up intentionally walking him with 2 outs and then as it goes, Jose Alvarez would strike out Roman Quinn, and the game would be over. But Gabe Kapler spoke after the game and said the reason that they intentionally walked Bryce Harper, well, Joey Bart had a big voice in
5: that. One thing that's actually worth talking about while I have your ears, um Joey Bart had what I perceive to be like one of the the better moments of, of his career. For me, it was the fact that he struck out on some balls. It happens. Like, we... We pride ourselves on not getting too high or too low, um, staying within ourselves. I think he was really frustrated after that at bat, but um, he got his emotion out in the dugout, and then he went back out and was able to, to guide us through the final inning of the game. Um, it was big. And then um, he was instrumental in, in the conversation that we had on the mound with Alvarez and, and Joey. Um, Albie and I were kind of discussing, do we throw... Harper a couple of pitches and see if we can get him to bite and then potentially if we're in a 2-0 count, 3-1 count, something like that, put him on there. And Joe was, had strong conviction. Just walk him. Just walk him. thought that was really impressive. You know, that's not something that you hear from a young catcher often.
4: Now that could be just all talk, Right. But that was part of the thing that we were wondering when it came to Joey Bart was how is he going to, you know, how is he going to even try and fill the shoes of Buster Posey and defensively in having those types of qualities? I don't think anybody expected him to do that. Now he's showing signs. But with all that being said. I don't know how much all of that matters if he continues to look the way that he does at the plate. Because sure, he did have that one at-bat that really didn't go his way where he didn't get a favorable call. But game after game, it's just whenever this dude gets into a two-strike count or he falls behind in the count and the pitcher already has the upper hand, it doesn't feel like he's going to come back from that. Like when you're a dangerous hitter, and you got a guy at the plate, and I really, you know, I don't know how many of these types of guys that the Giants really have, but when, and no matter where you're at in the count, you're always scared of this hitter. You know, Bryce Harper is that sort of dude. Even if you get, you know, if you go up, let's just say you go up one, two, even so, you're still trying to think of ways. That you're going to try and pitch around this dude while keeping the ball in the zone, but you don't really want to because it's Bryce Harper. And if there's a mistake, he's going to take advantage of it. And the thing with Joey Bart is, anytime he's behind in the count, it's not like these two-strike pitches have all been perfect two-strike pitches. Now, I'm not going to say a lot of them. I'm not going to say a majority of them. But certainly on some of these strikeouts that I've seen, it feels like they're mistakes, Because you can see the catcher, he's positioning on the outer part of the plate. You know, he may want like like a breaking ball low and outside. And you'll see him at his release point get the ball over the middle of the plate, leave it hanging, and Joey Bart still isn't able to catch up to it because he might be thinking too much. I don't know what it is. But with all that, even though he had that moment of leadership, and he showed that in the 11th, I need to see it at the plate before I really get excited about this dude. Because I came into the beginning of the year, I wanted him to be good so bad. I really wanted Joey Bart to be good. I just haven't seen it in the batter's box yet. And he knows that. He says he's just going to continue to work his ass off, and he thinks that good things will happen. Well, it better happen soon. Because by the time the trade deadline comes around... You never know what can happen. And also, by the way, another quick update. Um, As far as the trade deadline goes, you heard me discussing this uh, probably two weeks ago, maybe two and a half weeks ago, when Buster Olney, MLB insider for ESPN, wrote the article about X factors at the trade deadline. And he said that executives believe that the Nationals are going to trade Juan Soto. And I went off for about 10 minutes about why they need to go after Juan Soto if he's available for trade. Well, it was just said on a podcast, John Heyman of the New York Post reported that the Washington Nationals have spoken to other teams and said they're not in the market for trading Juan Soto. So let's just take that off the table. That's gone. That's gone. At least as far as the report goes. You know, by the time the trade deadline comes around, you never know. You never know, but when I see Joey Bart going zero for four, and then Elliot Ramos. Now, granted, Elliot Ramos did not have a favorable um, situation, and unfortunately um, for Darren Ruff, whose dad unexpectedly passed away they needed someone to take his spot in the outfield as he can as as Darren Ruff can be with his family and you know being a guy uh in my situation I lost my dad right at the beginning of this year in 2022 so I'm so sad for Darren Ruff and you know thoughts and prayers everything out to his family condolences to his family and his friends um just a really tough time and I know it wasn't favorable for Elliot Ramos but if you're looking in that lineup yesterday and you're looking at that game and you see Ramos and Bart go 0-7 for 7 with just a walk. Ugh. It's just tough. It's just tough when you're trying to see the future of this team. You're trying to picture what it's going to look like. And finally, you're getting a couple of guys who are called up, and then they do that. Now, granted, it's just one game. There's plenty more to go. And the Giants, after all, are 27-21 on the season. Um, But last night, that game lasted way too long. There are a couple of talking points from it. Evan Longoria actually getting chippy with Gabe Kapler. I thought that was interesting. In the dugout after he pinch-hit uh, Tommy Lastella for him. That was that was interesting. <laughs> after he went 0-for-1 with a walk at a strikeout. I haven't seen that before where a player and Gabe Kapler have disagreed. I, I don't know what that was about. But, after all, they got the win. 7-4. How much more is there really to complain about? Alright. Coming up next... I want to get to this finals MVP conversation because Draymond, man, he's doing so much media, it's insane. He had his own podcast, but this isn't from his podcast. This is from the Colin Cowherd podcast, a part of the volume, as he had his Draymond Green interview. Draymond gave a very lengthy answer about Steph in the finals MVP, and I want to react to that coming up next because I think what Draymond had to say was very interesting. We'll get to that next. 888 is the Xfinity mobile text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. As always, Stephen Lankford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game.
3: you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you.
2: Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution.
4: DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified.
0: I'm not going very far. It's too uncomfortable. I'm in a hurry.
6: Sometimes I just forget.
2: There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. You're not only putting yourself at risk of injury or death, it could also cost you lots of money. Cops are writing tickets, so why take the risk? Do the smart thing and start buckling up every trip, day or night. Click it or tick it paid for by NHTSA.
4: Tracy, line one is looking for a quote on a mini split.
1: Crazy spring temperatures are heating up to wide HVAC phone lines. Oh
4: That's week We're booked solid. If
1: they don't find more technicians, they'll be in Jeez, hot water. How
4: are we down three technicians in the past? three? Weeks? Indeed
1: can help them hire great people fast.
4: I need Indeed.
1: Indeed you do. You can schedule and conduct virtual interviews all from your employer dashboard. Earn up to $500 in sponsored job credits by interviewing on Indeed. Visit indeed.com slash credit.
0: Terms and conditions apply.
2: It's the perfect season for a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Summer Sale Event. Save up to 45% on secure PCs built for business with Windows 10 Pro. You'll also find great savings on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and other accessories to help boost productivity. Plus, enjoy free shipping on everything. Do more with modern devices and Windows 10 Pro. Call 877-ASK-DELL for a Dell Technologies advisor who can help you find the right tech. That's 877-ASK-DELL for business specials during Dell's Summer Sale Event.
1: Welcome to Bacasa oh Catherine. Oh my, is that a Picasso? <laughs> No, don't touch it's it. It's covering a hole in your wall. Yeah, I had leaks, but the plumber who repiped doesn't do drywall. It doesn't?
2: Mm-mm.
4: Repipe specialists would have repiped and offered to fix the holes in your walls.
2: Got leaks? Repipe specialists will repipe your house in one or two days and offer to fix the drywall. Call
4: 800 217 1636 for a free in home estimate and pay nothing down with no payments or interest for a year. That's 800 217
2: 1636 or visit repipe.com.
0: Join the conversation on 95.7 The Game with, with the Xfinity Mobile text line. Text
2: 888-957-9570. From the 500, Ray looks great in teal. I think we can all agree. From the 650... Stop. Don't do this. Ray Ratto makes me hate sports and life. Love you guys, though. Um, so,
0: that you know, that's nice. Text the text line at 888-957-9570. Xfinity Mobile. Your wireless, your rules.
1: Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. 800- 859-3220. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds too. For affordable term life, call 800-859- 3220.
0: Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford.
4: Good morning, everybody. As you heard the big voice guy say, Stephen Langford in up until 6 o'clock. And if this is your first time tuning in to the pregame show this early this week after your Memorial Day weekend, I had all of last week off, and I did not take that voluntarily. I ended up testing positive for COVID, so if you... uh, By the way, shout-out to Kyle Madsen for filling in uh, last week. Didn't give him a shout-out yesterday. Probably should've. I'm working with him later today. I'll be on the board for Willard and Dibs. But nevertheless... Just very self-involved there. Want to get into the Warriors and the Celtics. The NBA Finals, Game 1 on Thursday. Spent the first segment talking a little bit about the Giants because it feels like there's always a new wrinkle to this Joey Bart saga as the season goes on, and the Giants get the 7-4 win against the Philadelphia Phillies. But one of the talking points as it comes around with the Warriors in the Finals, and then we get to all this... Legacy talk with guys who, whose legacies are on the line with the NBA Finals. And of course, Steph Curry and his lack of Finals MVPs on the resume. Never mind him being an eight-time All-Star, three-time champ, two-time scoring champ, the unanimous MVP, two-time MVP. An eight-times All-NBA player. The All-Star MVP from this year. And the first winner of the Western Conference Finals MVP. Although, I wasn't here that day. Um, I wasn't here the day after the Warriors won that. But I was like, Steph, winning that Western Conference Finals MVP. Okay. <laughs> but, the Finals MVPs, it's there's always the chatter there, right? And not to mention all of the three-point scoring records that he has within the NBA. It's not even to mention all that. But it feels like whenever we're talking about Steph, everyone always has to bring up the Finals MVPs, the Finals MVPs. Now, I want to know from you at 888 at the Xfinity Mobile text line, what you think when it comes to this Finals MVP talk. Do you, do you care about it? Do you care that... Sometimes there might be uh maybe a media member, not even national media member, just a media member who slanders Steph in the way that he's played in the finals. Does that bother you at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero? Because Draymond Green spoke on that. Now it not to look at, you know, just the stats. I don't I don't even need to go around that part, but when it comes to the finals and the MVP talk. I mean, Steph just brings so much more to this team other than just what you see in the box score, even though what you do see in the box score is fantastic. Some of the numbers can be mind-blowing when you really look at them, but it's also what he does off the ball and the gravity that he brings. And it's nothing, it's not like these past couple of seasons when we really put a heavy focus on it, you know, we've put this Steph being double-teamed, the gravity that he brings under a microscope. It's not like it's just happened these past two seasons. It's been going on throughout these dynastic years because, after all, along with when even when Kevin Durant was on the team, Steph was the most dangerous player to me on this roster as far as being a guy who you need to double-team. Because if you ended up double-teaming or triple-teaming Kevin Durant, Then you leave Steph open, and then that just opens uh, a a whole world of problems. And by the way, Kevin Durant, somehow his name is being inserted into the conversation. That's really frustrating. But I want to get you the sound from Draymond Green here. This was Draymond on the Colin Cowherd podcast via the volume. Just want to be clear on that. It's not from the Draymond Green show. This isn't from his practice presser that he did This is from the interview that he had with Colin Coward on Colin Coward's podcast. Now, he gave a lengthy answer here, um, so just bear with me. It's about a minute and 50 seconds. But Draymond spoke on Coward's podcast about the lack of finals MVPs for Steph.
3: Kevin Durant was absolutely incredible in those finals runs. As you know, you watched it. We all watched it. Steph Curry got double-teamed probably seven times the amount that KD did in in a given series. So when you watch those games... And you say, ah, his numbers could be a little down. He's facing a double team, and by the way, this isn't a double team from an Orlando Magic. This is a double team from a team that's playing in the finals. <laughs> which we know, if you're in the finals, you're going to have a good defense. These are real double teams. This ain't some team that's throwing together a game plan the night before and then rolling. There are players out there that can't play half dead. This this isn't that. Right. This is elite teams throwing elite defenders. At guys, and yet I, I'm I'm not sure what his finals average is, but I'd be willing to bet my bottom dollars north of 23 points. And so the games and and the impact that he has on the game. If you don't understand basketball and, and thoroughly understand, not not understand a stat sheet. If you don't right. understand basketball, which most people don't in your space, then yeah, you're going to come out and you're going to say. He needs to validate that by Finals MVP because that's all you can see. You then go and you say, "Oh man, this guy won Finals MVP. That must be the guy who's doing X, Y, and Z." But if you can analyze the game and see, that's where that's when I say new media. That's where I feel like this space is going to rock. No one analyzes the game anymore. That's a lost skill. No one does that. And if you have the potential or if you're capable of analyzing a game, and under no circumstances are you going to say Steph Curry needs a Finals MVP to validate who he is. I
4: don't get that at all. Just that that whole situation
3: with him
4: being validated by a Finals MVP. Now, Draymond was correct on the stats because overall, throughout these Finals, and it's, it's actually crazy looking back on it because you could just go to basketball reference and just go 2015 Finals and just keep on clicking. All right. Next finals, look at the box score. Next finals, look at the box scores. Let's Next finals, look at the box scores. Because it's just five in a row, which is just insane. But throughout these finals, he averaged 26.5 points on 40 minutes on the floor. Well, 39 if you really want to count that. And then if you round it up, he also had six assists and six rebounds per game. Again, let me read those off. 26 and a half points. I'm a glass half full guy, so I'm going to round that out to 27. 5.7 rebounds, which I'm going to round out to 6. And then 6.2 assists, which I'm going to round down to 6. So 27, 6, and 6 throughout the finals... And even though he didn't win an MVP... Now, we're, we're getting the, the text here from the 408. We both know Stefan was robbed back in, in 2018, which which might have been true. But... And you can look at the Andre Guadalupe MVP one, too, and then you can think, all right, well, he just did it because he played good defense on LeBron. Well, that just showed the strength in numbers, in my opinion. I mean, that was really the mantra. That's when strength in numbers was really uh, coming to... You know, be the headline for the Warriors. And I think that that's what those finals MVPs, at least with Andre, spoke to. But even so, with KD winning the finals MVPs when Kevin Durant was around, even so, like the finals MVP thing to me, when he's got numbers like that, when he's averaging 27, 6 and 6. I mean, for example, Jason Tatum in this last series with Miami, he averaged 25, 8 and 6. So he had a couple more rebounds because, he, after all, he is a bigger dude. But he averaged 25 points, and that was in a 7-game series with the Miami Heat. The numbers that I just rattled off for Steph were throughout the entirety of these finals that they've been in. Now, this year, I think it's a very real possibility that he wins it Again or not again, excuse me, that he wins another MVP trophy within these playoffs because obviously he won the Western Conference Finals MVP. But if it's going to go to anybody, I think it's going to go to Steph. And to be honest, if we're going to be playing the defensive game, is Jason Tatum that good of a player? I know he's an all NBA first-team guy. But is Jason Tatum that good of a player where the primary defender, if he does a good job on him, and it's going to be Andrew Wiggins, does Andrew Wiggins get himself into the running for finals MVP? I don't know. But any of the talk about Steph's legacy and the fact that he doesn't have a finals MVP, oh, he's never been that good in the finals, Like that's what gets lost in all of it. Just because he hasn't won an MVP does not mean that... He wasn't good in the finals. He's been very good throughout the finals. And even if he has a bad game, bad statistical night, just having Steph on the floor. And now, look, these past couple of years, here's what's going to be the difference. The past couple of years with Steph, he's dramatically changed his game defensively. I mean, you saw that little clip earlier this year, or earlier in these playoffs, when I think it was after... Was it after? Was it in the middle of the Dallas series, or was it right after, or even right before the Dallas series? There's just so much going on. But when Steph was referred to by a reporter, when he was asked a question, as a two-way player, and his reaction to that, I've never seen Steph react like that uh, to the media. He was stoked on that. The strides that he's made on defense, that's what's made him a different player as opposed to these previous years when he didn't win the Finals MVP. Now the defense could have hindered him in these last uh, in these last few. But at the same time, I mean, there's Kevin Durant on the team, and when Kevin Durant is going one on one with guys and he's doing what he did, I, I, I don't know, man. It's 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 hard to just say, oh yeah, Steph not winning the MVPs on those teams. Nah, he's not he's not one of the greatest players ever. Like, give me a break on that. <laughs> it's just it, it's frustrating it's frustrating for the six to eight bro you're really wondering if Tatum is that good of a player Tell me you haven't watched him without telling me you haven't watched him I'm saying is Jason Tatum that much of a superstar because the reason that Andre won that MVP in that finals year is because of the job that he did with LeBron James and LeBron had already cemented himself. As one of the greatest of all time, at that point, Jason Tatum's still on his way. I'm not. I'm not trying to diminish what Jason Tatum does on the court, but I do think that with the mystique around LeBron James, that's partially why Andre Iguodala won the Finals MVP. Is Jason Tatum does Jason Tatum have that sort of mystique where if you play good defense on him, that's going to cement? a finals MVP for that primary defender, even if someone else on his team went off on offense. That's really where I'm at, 6-2-8. That's the type of thing that I'm talking about. Not talking about the skill level on the court. Not talking about that. But does his play dictate an award? Like, that's what I'm talking about with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's a very good player. Andrew Wiggins is going to have his work cut out for him just as much as any time in these playoffs. I mean, Luka was tough, but Jason Tatum, he's a different animal. And and, and also what those guys can do on defense with Jalen Brown and Robert Williams. And that leads me to the next conversation when that leads me to that leads me to this whole Kevin Durant thing, which I'm just going to share my thoughts on real quick. Because other than that, for the next half hour, I do want to ask you if you feel that this is the toughest opponent that the Warriors have had to face through these playoffs or through the through their dynastic years in the finals. Is this the toughest finals opponent for the Warriors? So far, 888 that's the Xfinity mobile text line and the phone number, or will nothing top having to play LeBron in the Cavs? Are they better than that Toronto Raptors team back in 2019? I want to hear from you at 888-957-9570. Stephen done on the pregame show, we got a lot to get into on 95.7 The Game. Dub Nation. This is Gary Payton II, and you are listening to the pre-game show with Steve Langford on ninety-five-seven The Game. After we put a cap on this Finals MVP conversation, I do want to uh, I do want to talk about Kevin Durant for a couple of minutes, and then we'll also get the update from Gary Payton II. He spoke to the media yesterday just gonna say now shout out to gary payton for winning the nba's community assist award seeing that video yesterday by the way i mean you want to talk about the culture of a team now granted this is looking through blue and gold colored goggles right now i i'm I'm sure this can happen with other teams too but just watching that video i don't know if anybody's seen it but when gary payton uh gets denounced by a kid from pittsburgh named Jaden. Who announced that? Uh, who told GP two that he was winning the award? There was the video that that was shot, and if you watch the team, and you talk about the culture of this squad, and we heard that from Joe Lacob and Steve Kerr, that was a big talking point yesterday, just about the culture of this Warriors team. Looking at it and watching that video, if you just take a step back and you know you you, you take everything out of it, if you're just having, if you're showing that video to a random. Not even like not even a basketball fan. If you're just showing it to someone who doesn't watch basketball, if you look at that video, and again, I know blue and gold colored goggles here, but this is just how I felt. All right, this is just how I felt. But if you showed that to someone who doesn't watch the NBA, you'd look at that team and you wouldn't know who the star is of that roster. You wouldn't know who the bench guys are. Because there's never one spotlight that's put on these dudes, at least within the team. It really is a full-team thing. Now, I'm sure you could see this with other teams, too, whenever they're celebrating an award like that. I'm sure you could. But, man, I think that uh, just looking at that video... I think that spoke to I think it spoke volumes to the type of culture the team has. When you got Steph and JTA celebrating together, you got Draymond who's standing right there, GP two. I mean if you're showing that to a non NBA fan and they have no idea who any of these Warriors are, they might be thinking that GP2 is the star of the team. Like that's what makes this team so special. Again, blue and cold colored goggles, I know. I understand that. I'm sure you can see it with other teams too. But that's just how I felt when I was watching that video. It's a great video. I recommend you check that out. Now, we were talking in the last segment about the lack of finals MVPs, and uh, we, we went with the Draymond sound, and he talked about Kevin Durant and how incredible he was. Incredible. That's the word that Draymond loves to use, Mr. Incredible. And he talked about how Kevin Durant was awesome in the finals, but Steph was being double and triple teamed about seven seven times, eight times more than Kevin Durant was in those finals. Now, Kevin Durant managed to insert his name into the conversation. We'll get to that in just a second. But Tony in Fremont was nice enough to call in this morning. And if you would like to, 888 please feel free.
0: Tony in Fremont, what's going on? Hey, hey, hey. <clears> hey, <throat> first of all, I want to give a shout-out to you, man. Uh, uh, doing the show, working the board, working the phones, right on, man. I appreciate this phone call so early in the morning. Of course. Um but you know, as a as a huge fan of the Warriors, when I go and uh, meet up with my buddies to have beers to watch the Warriors, I tell you what, the Finals MVP never comes up. It's it's a it's a media propaganda, um, I you know, and that's it gets me to another topic about Steph. Steph is is probably the the greatest team player ever in any sport. I I really honestly believe that. And and when you think about that, I don't think the dude cares. It's about the rings. It's about the rings. It's about the rings for the fans. (laughs) And that's all I care about right now, you know? I don't care if Steph gets the MVP. I don't, you know, if you go through NBA history and, and you look through these NBA finals, there's probably dudes that just went off during the finals and they get the MVP and it happens. It doesn't mean... That the uh, the MVP doesn't go to the best player on the team for the finals all the time. It just doesn't happen. And like I said, man, for for a fan looking in, I could care less. All I got to say is, pass me those blue and gold uh, goggles, and I'm on. I cannot wait for this game. Go Warriors! Screw those chowds. I'm so <laughs> fired up for this, man. Go Tony, Warriors. Tony,
4: what's your prediction, man? What do you got this? What do you got this series going? Damn, he's gone. Ah, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. And that was mostly a winning phone call till the end when, you know, you ask a follow-up, and he was done. He was out. Phone drop. Shout-out to Tony and Fremont uh, for calling in. Now, of course, if you want to weigh in, 888-957-9570, uh, as always, please feel free to do so. Now, that clip that Draymond... I'm not going to play the entire minute 50, but Draymond on... Colin Cowherd's podcast. It's so confusing when these dudes have a radio show and a podcast and the dude that he's interviewing has a podcast as a part of the same company. Draymond's doing media all around. But Draymond on the Colin Cowherd podcast, I'm not going to play the entire thing, uh, but listen to what he said about Kevin Durant here.
3: Kevin Durant was absolutely incredible in those finals runs. As you know, you watched it. We all watched it. Steph Curry got double teamed probably seven times the amount that KD did in a, in a given series. So when you watch those games and you say, ah, his numbers could be a little down, he's facing a double team. And by the way, this isn't a double team from an Orlando Magic. This is a double team from a team that's playing in the finals, <laughs> which we, know if you're in the finals, you're going to have a good defense. Now, Kevin Durant
4: looked on Twitter and this is a this is a big issue I'm finding with uh, with these graphics that are being posted and 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 now with all these podcasts going on podcasts where guys who have uh, reputable voices voices that people really you know not just listen to for entertainment but they actually listen to for enter, uh, for for information someone posted on Twitter just the quote. Actually, they posted the full 2-minute 20, but they posted just the quote on the tweet. And the quote just said they need those shiny objects for them to be able to analyze what's going on. Steph Curry got double-teamed seven times the amount KD did. The impact he has on the game. If you don't understand basketball, you're going to say he needs a Finals MVP to validate who he is. Dre on Steph. But as you heard, Draymond said that Kevin Durant was incredible. In the finals. And that was something that was missing from the headline. And Kevin Durant, of course, quote tweets it. From my view of it, this is 100% false. <laughs> so so he's looking at clearly just the headline here. Because if if he's responding to that clip as it was posted... Then he's saying that it's 100% false that he was incredible in the finals and that he deserved those MVPs. Like, if that's really what he's saying is 100% false. But really, he was just looking at the headline. Then, of course, Traymon responds, you have to learn to listen to full takes and not snippets before you get baited into tweeting, champ. So you had that. Now, I just want to answer this question real quick because it's a question that's been going around for Uh, you know, through the national media when they're trying to create topics and trying to create stuff out of thin air. And naturally, Kevin Durant comes into the conversation and people asking, do you think that Kevin Durant misses being on the Warriors? Do you think that he regrets not sticking with this Warriors team after that year? And my answer to that is, I don't believe so. I personally thought that the Warriors got Kevin Durant in a time in his career when he really wanted to win a championship. Like he got, they. I think they got him at the perfect time. I mean, of course, you'd think that he'd want to stay there so he could play with Steph, Dre, and Clay. Of course, like which player wouldn't want to do that? But I think by the time that he'd won those MVPs and he'd won those finals and he'd put his leg on the line to try and win another one in 2019, I think after that, this inner th- I think after that, he was in a different st- he was at a different point in his career, in a different stage. And to me, if you go back and listen to this interview with Matt Sullivan, he did it with the Levitard show. Matt Sullivan was writing a book about how this Nets team came together with Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. And there was some pretty damning evidence in that book. I'm not going to go all into it. But Matt Sullivan was very candid about this Nets team and the type of power that that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Her- Kyrie Irving have among that organization. Hell, that's why Warriors assistant coach Kenny Atkinson is currently an assistant coach. Because even though he had led that underdog Nets team with you know D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert, I think Jarrett Allen was on those teams, even though he'd led them to being an eighth seed and making waves in the playoffs that year, Kenny Atkinson, that is, when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving... Came to that team they didn't want Kenny Atkinson as the coach and with that power Kenny Atkinson was gone now I'm sure there's other factors that played into it along with GM Bobby Marks but nevertheless whenever someone asks like does Kevin Durant would he does he regret leaving the Warriors I'm sure that he does in some capacity But at the same time, by the time his Warriors tenure was over, I think he was at a different stage in his career where he wanted a little more freedom to do whatever he wanted. And also, you know, Warriors fans were hounding him that last season. Let's be honest. I'm not saying Warriors fans drove him out of here, but I do think that played a part in it. It's just, Kevin Durant, even though he's not winning with that team, with that Nets team, the type of freedom that they give him I, I don't think he regrets leaving Golden State for that reason. Maybe, you know, he, he would probably win another championship or two. But we're never talking about KD's legacy every single year, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's never like that. Kevin Durant is one of the greatest scorers, if not the greatest scorer that we've ever seen. One of them. He's one of the most talented, that's for sure. We've never seen a, a, a we we haven't seen a dude this gifted with what he could do with the ball in his hands and the way that he could put up a shot. Now everyone's going to take those words out of context and say, "Oh, he's the greatest shooter of all time." You know who leads all time in points and all this stuff. That's not what I'm trying to say. But man, in 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 the end, when it comes to that question with Kevin Durant, does he regret leaving the Warriors? I'm sure in some capacity he does, but in the end. He got what he wanted, which is the freedom to do whatever he wants. So that's what I think of this whole Kevin Durant situation. But let's get to the actual finals. Now, I asked this question, and we got a couple of texts here from the 707 and the 415. Because I asked the question, is this Boston team, is this Celtics team, the Warriors' toughest finals opponent so far? Have they overtaken the Raptors? Because I think those Raptors teams with Kawhi and a Young, I think he was 24, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry when he was 32 years old, a lot can change in three years, obviously, seeing as what he's done with the Heat. Fred Van Vliet, who was... You know, basically the Matthew Della Vadova of that team who could actually score the basketball. And what I mean Matthew Della Vadova in that he knew how to guard Steph. Fred Van Vliet was very good at that. I remember putting an emphasis on that in one of my first shows that I ever did on the pre-game show solo. Talked about Fred Van Vliet for like a half hour. That team was deep. But this Celtics team, man, I don't know if we can overlook them because I, I I personally think, and now I'm also missing out on Marcus Gasol, and then of course of on Serge Ibaka coming off the bench. He was terrific as a six man that year, and from the four one five, the Raptors were the toughest. And then from the seven oh seven Toronto, they easily had the best defensive rating in the playoffs, and offensively they were hitting. But when you really look at it, man, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, those three guys. They are some damn good players. And we know that Marcus Smart against Steph Curry is going to be the matchup to watch. I know Andrew Wiggins and Jason Tatum, that's going to be a one-on-one matchup that we're going to be keeping an eye on. But Marcus Smart is going to be playing that, uh, that Dylan Brooks role where he's just following Steph, facing up on him the entire time, not even paying attention to the ball. But then you throw in Robert Williams. And then you also got Al Horford, too. And then you got guys coming off the bench like a Derek White, who's not great, but he can still shoot the three. But that's starting five. And there's one more name that I want to mention, too, that I I hope we don't overlook. And he actually has my favorite nickname in the NBA. Uh, We'll get to that in just a second. But this Celtics team, compared to those other ones, it's damn close with the Raptors in my opinion and I think they could be just about the toughest that they've faced so far here's what Steve Kerr had to say yesterday Uh, on with Damon and Ratto talking about the Celtics they
6: are definitely the best defense uh, we will have faced I think uh, the speed and athleticism and the size at every position is what stands out you know you got Marcus Smart who's the defensive player of the year as a point guard on the ball but also able to to switch and he's so strong he can guard low post guys down on the block because of that strength. And then they have a whole bunch of switchable wings, you know, guys who can uh, guard multiple spots and they're probably the best switching team in the league. You know, they're a little bit like we were, say, three, four years ago when we just switched, you know, from play to Kevin to Andre to Sean Livingston to Draymond. I mean it's just a very switchable lineup which which makes them uh the best best in the league.
4: And a guy who makes that defense click, someone who ended up tearing their meniscus is Robert Williams. And I think Robert Williams is going to be a key piece to this to this Celtics success on defense if they have any in this series. Cuz Robert Williams He was a Defensive Player of the Year candidate prior to him getting hurt. And once he did get hurt, everyone was wondering if the Celtics were going to keep doing what they were doing toward the end of the season. And really, ever since the month of January, you know, going into the All-Star break and out of the All-Star break, they were easily the best team in the NBA. Boston was just rolling. But along with Robert Williams, and by the way, Robert Williams he has a nickname, and I don't know if anyone's mentioned this on this station, but it's a nickname I've, I've heard a lot on basketball podcasts, and I've actually never looked up the origins of it. But Robert Williams' nickname is Time Lord. And I always liked that nickname. Always liked it. Time Lord. That sounds cool. I don't know why they call him that, but I like the name Time Lord. The reason they call him Time Lord is because when he was a rookie he showed up late to his first practice and, like, overslept when they had to catch a team playing when going on their first road game. So it's an ironic nickname, and it's one that stuck. But normally, when you when you got a nickname, you know, for example, Andrew Wiggins being called Maple Jordan, or, you know, that's the reason, because he was, you know, back back when, you know, he was at Kansas... In Canada, it was like you're watching a guy who could possibly be the next Michael Jordan, even going all the way back to high school. And then when you got Clay Thompson being called Game Six Clay, the reason they call him Game Six Clay is because he goes off in Game Six. Like, there, there's normally, it's unironic, it's pretty well explicable as to why they have those nicknames. But Robert Williams, his name is Time Lord. But a lot like the jazz with Rudy Gobert, Robert Williams, like, you know, say whatever you want about Gobert, but he makes guys think twice when they're trying to drive to the rim. He does. Now, the biggest problem with Gobert was, at least toward the end of the season, when he'd guard the perimeter, and you saw this with the Warriors uh, constantly this year, Um, But they just didn't have dudes that could help them on defense. Like, they just didn't. So they'd switch Rudy Gobert onto Steph or whatever it was, and then, you know, whether it be Wiggins or GP2, whoever, they'd run a backdoor cut and there'd be no one there to help because the Jazz, their team wasn't good on defense. But when it comes to Robert Williams, man, the rest of his team, they're all damn good defenders. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams when he comes in. These guys can guard the perimeter. They can help. They switch. They rotate. They keep their hands active. They do all those different things. And I don't know how good defensively... um, And, and, you know, it's really tough because the Raptors were a damn good defensive team. We're getting it from the text line that they had the best defensive rating in the league. And Kawhi was a big part of that. But still, even with you know guys like Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, who, you know, even though Kyle Lowry you could blow right by him, the dude still draws charges unlike anyone else. I mean, he was still doing it even in that Heat-Celtics series. And he, you damn sure knew that he was doing it in the finals, too, back then. So they were a tough defense to play. But this Celtics team, they're just so complete on all sides. And then Peyton Pritchard... You know, I, I don't know how much run he's going to get. Daniel Tice coming off the bench, I don't know. It depends on the matchup. here. You saw mostly a seven-man rotation. You didn't see them go further than Grant Williams and Derek White, really, coming off the bench. But different matchups call for different guys to get more minutes, and you you, you never really know with that. And I, I, I do think Daniel Tice could be getting some extended minutes just considering the size differential between these two teams. And maybe it is just recency bias, but just with how young these guys are, with how spry they are, this Celtics team I think is damn good. Now granted, the gauntlet that they go that they went through in these Eastern these Eastern Conference uh, to get to this Eastern Conference to get to this point, the gauntlet that they went through, it was tough, but at the same time, that Nets team just was not ready to play in the playoffs. They'd been having a tumultuous season all year. You know, and they obviously didn't have James Harden. Joe Harris wasn't the same sort of dude. Kyrie Irving, obviously Kyrie. Uh, it, it just wasn't the same. Steve Nash didn't know what to do. The Bucks were without Chris Middleton through this year, or through, the, through these playoffs and for a lot of this year, toward the end of the year, rather. And then course you had this team with the heat but they were missing Tyler Hero so you could pick through these things I do think that the gauntlet that they've gone through it's a little overrated but man this Celtics team is is damn good is damn good and Kerr was talking about Boston yesterday. I want to continue this um, with uh, I, I want to continue this with Steve Kerr from Damon and Ratto, but he talked about Boston's defense and that reminds him of a certain defense that they played a few years back.
6: I think defensively they're um, similar to Houston a few years ago. You know when Houston put their all switching lineup on the floor and they had PJ Tucker and Eric Gordon and uh, Chris Paul. They just switched everything, and they had you know a lot of size and uh, and strength at every position. I think that's what the switching will remind us of uh, most is that that Houston matchup.
4: And the one matchup that I look at when it comes to that Houston defense, and the one that it's going to be with this series, the Marcus Smart on Steph Curry matchup that we're going to see. It's the it's this. I'm getting excited the same way that I was excited to watch PJ Tucker versus Kevin Durant. Every night. Every night of those, uh, every night, whether it was the conference finals or the second round, whatever it was, whenever they played Houston, um, the multiple years back-to-back, it was the P.J. Tucker-Kevin Durant matchup that I was excited for, but these finals, Marcus Smart versus Steph Curry is going to be the one to watch. I can't believe it's tomorrow. Now we could be getting GP two back. We'll see. We got the report from Sham Sharania uh, that uh, we got the report from Sham Sharania that they're that he's trending towards game one, but also um, it's going to be a game time decision. And then Steve Kerr, this isn't from Damon Enrado, but this is real quick, just an update on Peyton Porter and Iguadala during his practice presser yesterday.
6: Gary, Andre and Otto all took part fully in practice today. We didn't do a live scrimmage, but we did um, kind of scout team work, you know, half court um, offense and defense. So it was uh, definitely, you know, work that was ramped up. And uh, it seems like everybody got through it well, but we'll know more tomorrow. And then we'll have another another practice tomorrow. And we'll do some contact work tomorrow. And we'll have a better sense of where they all are um, after tomorrow.
4: So after today... And we go in tomorrow talking about Game 1. We'll know a little more because I do think that with Porter and Iguodala and GP2, I think that's going to dictate a lot of what they're going to do uh, with the guys coming off the bench. As we know, the Warriors are a team, even though it wasn't so much like it last series, they are a team that likes to play their veteran players. So we'll get to all that tomorrow. A full NBA Finals preview. Cannot wait for that. Stick around, Bonte Hill, Joe, the Butcher Boy, Shasky. They're coming up next. Thanks so much for joining me, everyone. You got me and producer Sam Lubman behind the glass up until nine o'clock. And as always, go sports.
2: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s. It's over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.